0: Chapter 27 of Just As I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter 27 Poor Lucy. Avonmore is one of the genteelest towns in England. There is positively nothing common or unclean in it. It manufactures nothing, it gives employment to nobody. It knows nothing of the working classes, it has no outer fringe of shabby streets and labouring men's cottages. It is a pure and perfect chrysolite set in the garden-land of England, a land of green pastures watered by a picturesque but weedy river that never turned a mill or served any useful purpose in its life, but which glides along its serpentine course placidly between willow-shaded banks. The high street is as broad as Regent Street, and sparkles with shops which only appeal to the wealthy. The two chief hotels are as elegantly luxurious and as expensive as Claridge's. The gentle slopes, which the natives call hills, are dotted with white-walled villas girdled with exquisitely kept gardens, rich in monkey trees, deodara's wellingtonias and all the aristocracy of foreign timber. The finest society in England is to be had at Avonmore, <laughs> said mr churchill green as he finished his hashed mutton and turned his chair to the fire in the untidy little back parlour behind his shop but it is an infernally stagnant hole for a man to earn his living in his wife sat in a low chair in the opposite corner of the hearth nursing her last baby a sickly mother with hollow hectic cheeks and a dry hacking cough a flabby looking infant dribbling in an imbecile manner over a soiled and crumpled pinafore. ''I don't know how it is for other people,'' replied Mrs. Green mournfully. ''Some of them seem to get on well enough and even to make their fortunes. But it doesn't answer with us. Perhaps if you were to stick closer to business, Churchill?'' ''Closer to business?'' echoed Mr. Green scornfully. ''Will my closeness bring customers?'' if i were to be as close as an oyster would that fill my shop didn't i stay at home and sit yawning over the telegraph behind that blessed counter all yesterday afternoon and what are we the richer for my self-denial two young ladies came churchill Ah, yes and after turning over three portfolios of songs and waltzes decided there was nothing they cared about and walked out of the shop without spending sixpence i wish i dealt in cheeses or eel pies or rags and bones or pig's trotters cried churchill savagely for then i might find an appreciative public i have often advised you to try some other business said the wife with meek reproachfulness the kind of half resigned half complaining an wholly miserable tone which irritates a husband's nerves like the perpetual dropping of water a small nuisance but horrible from its continuity oh hang it all exclaimed churchill as he knocked the ashes out of his blackened meerschaum i couldn't stand an ungentlemanly trade if it were to bring in thousands lucy green gave a little whimpering sigh as she bent over the sickly baby and lifted the limp little hand to her lips I wouldn't care what the trade was if it gave us good food and decent clothes, Charlie," she said. She always called her husband Charlie when she was most in earnest. I'm sure I felt as bad as if somebody was putting a knife into me this afternoon when I saw those children going to school in patched clothes and worn-out boots. What's the good of waiting for concert engagements that don't come? "'If it wasn't for a circus now and then, and a piano or two to tune, you wouldn't earn a five-pound note in a twelvemonth. It's only the kindness of my friends,' she faltered a little here and looked furtively at her husband, whose face had clouded over with a sudden scowl, "'It's only their kindness keeps us from starvation.' Huh. "'Perhaps if your friends were a little less mysterious in their benevolence, I might feel more grateful.' retorted mr green but it isn't a pleasant idea for a husband that his wife gets her money from nobody knows whom the money seems as welcome to you as to me charlie you always help to spend it i suppose i have a right to live lucy nobody denies that churchill don't i slave to put a decent dinner on the table and feed the poor children on bread and treacle half the week so that you might have a little bit of hot supper when you come home tired of a night but it does seem hard upon us all when you go and spend money in a tavern parlour rather than make yourself happy at home happy echoed green with a contemptuous survey of the shabby room and the faded wife (laughs) a fine place for a man to be happy in, a chorus of squalling brats varied by a solo from a grumbling wife. If it were not for the relief I get from a little pleasant society of an evening, I should cut my throat.' "'I don't think I shall be here to trouble you very much longer,' said Lucy, looking at him with eyes that were slowly filling with tears. The look was pathetic. But the husband had seen it so often that it had lost its power to move him and if you don't give any more thought to the poor children when i'm gone than you do now they won't be a very long a burden upon you for with their weekly constitutions they need all a father's care they need a father's purse my girl and mine's empty answered green putting away his pipe and rising to depart he settled his collar and arranged his hair before the shabby little glass over the mantelpiece, and then feeling that he had not been quite so kind as he might have been to the weak piece of humanity which he had wedded, he bent down and gave his wife a gentle pat on the shoulder with one hand, while he offered the forefinger of the other to his baby, who clutched at it convulsively, and examined it with a frowning intentness, as if the paternal finger were a natural curiosity seen for the first time. "'Cheer up, old girl,' said Green. "'A creaking door always hangs longest on its hinges. "'You'll go on creaking for many a year to come. "'I'll be bound.' "'I don't think so, Charlie. "'My chest's awfully bad, "'and the pain in my side gets worse every day.' "'Oh, it's all on account of these villainous east winds. "'You'll pick up directly there's a change in the weather. "'Ta-ta!' where are you going churchill in such a hurry to the station there's a concert at blackford this evening and a new contralto i've set my heart on hearing i shall go third class three bob there and back and i shall be home before one in the morning oh, don't sit up for me lucy uh, but just have a bit of something hot on the kitchen hob as per usual he was gone before she could remonstrate she sat rocking the baby on her knees while a few slow tears rolled down her wasted cheeks. Three shillings for railway fare and something for his tea at Blackford, even if he gets into the concert hall for nothing, she murmured dolefully. Five shillings would buy Matty a pair of boots, and the poor child's feet are on the ground. Oh, God help me, I was so proud of Churchill's musical genius when I married him and now i hate the name of concerts and organs and oratorios and the whole lot of it the bell hanging on the shop door gave a jingling ring and lucy green started up in an agitated manner hurriedly deposited the flabby bundle of infant life in the cradle and hastened into the shop a gentleman was standing in front of the counter looking about him thoughtfully did you wish to see our newest music sir asked mrs green summoning up her most cheerful smile and trying to look like a prosperous tradesman's wife, painfully conscious all the while of her faded gown and untidy hair which the baby had been clawing a few minutes ago. "'I am not a customer, madam,' answered the stranger with grave politeness. "'I wish to have a little private conversation with you, if you will allow me. "'I believe you are Mrs. Green?' "'Yes, sir.' "'I am known, slightly, to your relation, "'Mrs. Dawley, of Holbrook Farm.' "'Oh, indeed, sir. "'Oh, then I'm sure you're welcome,' exclaimed Lucy, brightening. "'Mrs. Dawley is my aunt, and the best of aunts. "'How was she looking, sir, when you last saw her?' "'Oh, uh, glorious. "'I met her in Highclere Marketplace only a week ago, "'and she looked blooming and hearty.' Oh dear old Highclere," said mrs green regretfully how i love that place it isn't as fashionable or as handsome a town as this i know but it's nearer my old home and i knew it when i was a light-hearted girl without a care that makes the difference you see sir will you please step into the parlor sir and make yourself at home it's a poor place, for we're limited as to room, you see, everything being sacrificed to the shop. And with children about, one can never keep a room tidy.' Oh, "'Pray don't apologize," said Morton Blake. "'I dare say you would rather have disorder with the children than order without them.' <laughs> "'Yes, indeed, <laughs> sir. I should be sorry to lose one, though it's a wearing life.' Her hollow cough gave emphasis to the remark, it was a life that seemed likely to wear into death before she was much older. "'I want to talk to you about the past when you were in service at Templewood.' "'Oh, sir, those were the happiest days of my life. (laughs) See, me now, you'd never believe what a giddy, flighty young creature I was then. But what interest can that time have to you, sir?' "'Oh, a great deal.' "'I'm hunting up details of family history in order to work out a law case in which I'm interested. Uh, You understand?' "'Not exactly, sir,' answered Mrs. Green with a puzzled look. "'But you must bear in mind that I've no head for business. Green's always telling me that.' Morton had invented this pretext as he came along, feeling that it would be necessary to allege some motive for his inquiries. Uh, you were with miss alice ruthenie before her marriage i believe he said "Oh yes sir i was own maid to miss alice and her sisters oh, she was a sweet young lady poor flower cut off in her bloom and beauty her eyes filled with tears and she turned away her head with a choking sob as she felt in her pocket for her handkerchief fumbling nervously in her agitation you were very fond of her i see said morton kindly fond of her i loved her as if she had been my own flesh and blood she was a kind mistress to me and i was true and faithful to her oh yes god knows i would have gone through fire and water to serve her and was she happy in her married life asked morton intensely interested it seemed to him that he was on the right track. Mrs. Green was inclined to be communicative. The floodgates of memory were open and all would be easy. But at this question she became suddenly on her guard. She drew herself up and tightened her lips and dried her tears and became, as it were, a woman of marble. She had the best of husbands, sir, and the most devoted. Oh, but that does not always ensure happiness she may have had a previous attachment she may have been unhappy in her memory of a former lover if it were so sir it wouldn't be my place to talk about it especially with a stranger i was true to my lady in life and i wish to be true to her in death oh i would not for the world assail your fidelity but there is reason why the details of lady courtney's married life and of her death are deeply interesting to me It is no idle curiosity that moves me, be assured of that. It is in the cause of truth and justice that I ask these questions. Lucy Green looked at him with a scared expression, pale to the lips. You, from your association with the neighbourhood, must have been interested in the trial at Highclere last December, continued Morton. Tell me frankly now, do you think the man who was condemned for the murder of Walter Blake... Was the real murderer? She never took her eyes from his face. The pale lips assumed a purple tinge. The hectic flush came and went upon the sunken cheeks. This woman is in the secret, thought Morton. What strange questions you ask, she faltered. And what could that man's guilt or innocence have to do with Lady Courtney? Or perhaps a great deal walter blake had been lady Courtney's suitor before her marriage it is possible that her husband's jealousy oh, you've no right to say such things you've no right to speak against the dead exclaimed lucy tremulous with anger i was true to my lady while she was alive do you think i'm going to be false to her now to gratify your malice why do you come here to rip up the secrets of the past if there were any secrets in her life which there were not nobody ever slandered her while she was alive is she to be made light of after she has been lying in her grave twenty years oh pray do not agitate yourself said morton gently i have not said a word against lady courtenay if walter blake loved her it is a reason why i should honour her memory but i believe that sir everard courtenay had a hand in walter blake's murder and i believe that you could help me to discover the secret of his guilt sir everard courtenay cried lucy with a laugh that had too hysterical a sound for genuine mirthfulness or genuine scorn why he and mr blake were old friends old schoolfellows mr blake was as much at home as fairview as sir everard himself Oh well, what if that friendship were suddenly broken if some act or word innocent of all evil perhaps on the part of the wife awakened the husband's jealousy Oh, you are leading me on now about sir everard as you led me on about lady courtenay but you are wasting time and trouble i have no secrets to tell and if i had i would not speak one word against a good master who was always kind and generous to me yes always generous she repeated lapsing from hysterical laughter to hysterical tears he has been a good friend to me my trouble with four children and a husband who squanders more than he earns what would become of me do you think if i hadn't a friend and yet you a stranger to me come here and try to make me turn against him." She had risen in her agitation, and had moved about the room, stooping over the cradle to arrange the baby's coverlet with a wan hand that fluttered like a withered leaf in the faint evening wind. Morton had risen, too, and had changed his place, so that he now stood with his face turned to the bright winter light streaming through a window that looked northward why do you distress yourself mrs green he said watching her intently if there's nothing to conceal or nothing to tell what need of this agitation but if you are keeping the secret of a crime bribed perhaps to be silent you are doing a wicked act and no good can come to you or your children from the help which is given to you as hush money how dare you tell me i take hush money she cried "'trembling in every limb and looking him straight in the face "'for the first time since they had shifted their position. "'How dare you insult "'She stopped suddenly with a faint shriek "'and clasped her hands before her eyes as if to shut him from her sight. "'My God!' she cried. "'Walter Blake's face!' "'She sank into the nearest chair, "'cowering and shuddering as if she had seen a ghost.' My poor Miss Alice, my poor Miss Alice. He was so good and brave and true and loved her so dearly. Then she began to sob, big tears rolling down her wasted cheeks. Why do you come here to torment me like a spirit from the dead? She cried. You have no right to torture me like this. "'Yes, I have the right to use every means in my power "'to search out the secret of Walter Blake's murder,' "'answered Morton sternly, for he was my father.' "'She rose again and came over to him "'and looked him in the face earnestly with piteous eyes "'as if indeed he were a shadowy wanderer "'from the land where all things are forgotten. "'Yes, it is his face,' she murmured. "'I ought to have known it from the first i hardly saw you till just now you sat with your back to the light and i was so upset by what you said my sight has grown weaker every day since i nursed my last baby i ought to have guessed who you were at once your voice is like his too perhaps that's the reason i was so upset for i'm a poor nervous creature can you help me bring his guilt home to my father's murderer asked morton waving away all her agitated protestations with a tone and a look that indicated intentness of purpose. "'No! What should I know of the murder? "'I was with my poor dying mistress all that day. "'I never stirred outside Fairview. "'I hardly left her room. "'And you know nothing? "'You can recall no suspicious circumstance? "'You can give me no clue? "'Nothing. No.' no you mean you will not no i say i cannot i know nothing why do you not believe what all the world believes that the man who confessed to the crime was the man who did it because i have the strongest reasons for thinking otherwise yes good and sufficient ground for believing that sir everard's was the hand that struck the blow you must be mad Said Lucy, with her gaze still fixed on his face, as if drawn to it irresistibly by some influence of memory, love, or fear stronger than her will. Sir Everard, a gentleman, lift his hand against his own friend? Oh, impossible. Oh, Mr. Blake, Mr. Blake, why did you come here? My poor heart, how it beats, and the blood seems seething and bubbling in my poor weak head why do you bring up the past i can't bear it i can't bear it she flung herself back into the chair from which she had risen restlessly a minute before and burst into passionate tears never had morton seen a woman sob so bitterly and the sight wrung his heart oh my good soul i am truly sorry he exclaimed laying his hand gently almost tenderly upon her shoulder pray do not distress yourself in this way if you have no knowledge of my father's death if you are withholding nothing from me there can be no cause for this agitation yes there can she cried passionately there is another cause cannot you understand how dull you are i knew your father so well I saw him so often when he came to Templewood courting Miss Alice. Oh my God, his face rises before me now as if it was only yesterday that he was standing by the holly hedge which shut off the kitchen garden from the shrubbery talking to me about my young mistress. He used to make a friend of me and give me messages and little notes for her for she was hardly out of the nursery at that time and Lady George kept her very close it used to please mr blake to talk to me about her for i could tell him all she said about him and what he called her pretty ways of course it never occurred to him that any harm could come to me from all this talk you fine gentlemen think because we're servants we're not flesh and blood that we've no hearts to feel or fancies to be led astray but though i was a lady's maid i was a woman and i grew to care more for him than i ought to have cared and i was miserable about him and took no pleasure in life except when he was near me and my heart was gnawed with jealousy and many a time when he has given me a letter for miss alice i covered it with kisses and carried it about in my bosom for hours before i gave it to her and i have been tempted to destroy it in my jealous pain yet i was true to my lady through all and never turned against her or wavered in my love for her she said all this with her wasted hands spread before her wasted face her speech broken every now and then by a stifled sob now she let fall her hands and looked at morton once more her face crimson with shame why do i tell you this now that he has been in his grave twenty years she asked heaven knows why I've never told a creature before today. He never guessed it. I was not a bold, flirting girl like some and I would have died rather than betray myself to him. But you are his son. It seems to me almost as if you were himself risen from the dead. And you wanted to know why I was so upset and I've told you. And there's an end to it." This was said with an air that was half-weary half-defiant, the air of one who was very tired of the burden of this life, and destined very soon to cast off the burden for ever. "'I am sorry for you with all my soul,' said Morton. "'I honour you for having loved him, and for having so faithfully kept the secret of that love. "'You can better understand how I, his only son, who loved him passionately, am bent upon avenging his death.' this renewed her tears don't talk to me about his death she pleaded i can't bear it he stood looking down at her thoughtfully for some minutes while she sat struggling with her tears and wiping them off her wan cheeks sorely inclined to be hysterical but conquering her agitation heroically he felt profound pity for her weakness physical and mental he saw such signs of disease in her pallid face and shrunken form as could but move him to compassion yet he felt that weak as she was she had got the better of him conquering his strength of will by her very weakness he felt assured that she had some knowledge of circumstances bearing on his father's death and that she was wilfully keeping that knowledge from him throughout the interview there had been a remorseful consciousness of wrong-doing in her manner it was not grief for the dead alone which drew from her such passionate tokens of distress there was guilt as well you seem to be in a weak state of health he said kindly when she had grown calmer and had taken the baby from his cradle as if in the hope of finding some comfort in that feeble morsel of humanity which she pressed tenderly to her breast bending down to kiss the flabby little face smiling into the blue eyes that stared wonderingly at her. "'Yes, I have had a hacking cough ever since last September, and I have been very low. Poor mother died in a decline, and my eldest sister went off last year just in the same way. And I suppose it will be my turn next. I shouldn't much mind if it wasn't for these poor children, but it's hard to leave them.' churchill means well poor fellow but he's wrapped up in music and singing and such like he'll go twenty miles to hear a new church organ or a new singer he can't take care of the children as i do oh, please god you may be spared for some years yet you seem to have rather a hard life here the shop to mind Oh, churchill is at home sometimes "'answered the wife with a deprecating air. "'But I do mind the shop, mostly. "'And the children to take care of.' "'Yes, it's a hard life to anyone that's out of health,' assented Lucy with a sigh. "'Well, don't you think if you were to come into the fresh country air, "'among fields and woods, "'and have a comfortable cottage to live in, "'and a nice little servant to look after the children and wait upon you, "'you might get better?' Oh lord sir you might as well ask me if i thought i should get better in paradise oh, of course i should but it's impossible not at all if you like to come to tangley i'll give you one of the cottages on my estate with a nice bit of garden and i'll find an honest girl to nurse you and your children "'and my aunt, who is about the best woman in the world, "'will take care that you want for nothing "'till you get well and strong "'and are able to come back to your husband.' "'Oh, sir,' she said, "'clasping her hands rapturously. "'Oh, how generous and noble you are! "'Oh, yes, you are indeed his son, "'like him who was the kindest of men.' "'Let it be a settled thing, then.' i will have some furniture put into a cottage to-morrow we have always plenty of chairs and tables and old bedsteads in the lumber-room at the manor and i'll get my aunt to arrange everything all you have to do is to get your husband's consent to your leaving him to take care of himself for a month or two i don't think he'll much mind sir answered lucy he's often said he would like to give me a change of air if he could afford it And it worries him, poor fellow, to hear my cough and know he can do nothing towards curing it. He's grumbled at my aunt Dolly because she hasn't asked me to go and stay at the farm. But then you see, sir, my aunt has her husband to study and sick people are bad company. And even if she were to invite me to the farm she wouldn't have the children and I should have to be parted from them, poor innocents." you will be happier with your children round you i am sure here's a trifle for the expenses of the journey he slipped a five-pound note into her hand i'll write to you to-morrow to say how soon the cottage can be ready and you can settle everything with mr green in the meantime oh sir i don't know how to thank you you're too good oh you're like your father and i can't say more than that i don't want any thanks good-bye until i see you at tangley and with this brief leave-taking morton took up his hat and departed there had been no thought of self-interest in his kindness to lucy his heart had been touched by her distress and still more so by the deep feeling she had shown in reference to his father but after he had left her and was on his way home it occurred to him that whatever knowledge she had withheld from him to-day as a stranger she might possibly impart at some future time when she had learnt to regard him as her benefactor and friend. End of chapter twenty seven.